Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. So before we start, I wanted to make a confession, uh, and I wanted you guys to be the first ones to hear. Uh, I made a $45.13 donation uh, to buy urinal cakes to the college uh, to better my chances to get in. Um, I'm not proud of it. Um, I'm, I'm very ashamed. And it's, it's just I wanted, I wanted everyone here to be the first, the first group to hear. The results speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to talk about that one today, but I had to throw that in. That's good. (laughs) Stupid celebrities. Um, Hi, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, uh, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hi. Um, Fun stuff before we get started with uh, all of our topics for the week. Uh, if you guys are new to the podcast or a returning listener, um, if you have beer suggestions, questions, comments, uh, things you want us to talk about, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. The podcast you can find on iTunes, Spotify, which is a new addition, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, most major podcasting platforms. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS or Android. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics and check out our reviews. Uh, and then we are partnered with uh, Predicted. And in case you didn't know, if you are a new listener, again, because I said that already, uh, Predicted is a real money political prediction market, um, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, like I've mentioned previously, we use it all the time to uh, check out what people are thinking about uh things in the news, um, world events, um, democratic primaries, democratic primaries. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, seeing where people, uh, are putting their money, uh, who they think is going to win or come out on top, um, and then try and make some money off of that too. Cause that's fun. That's the fun part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's nice for our listeners. If, um, you open up a new account, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, uh, predict it will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predicted. Some quick math skills there, yes. which is about as far as I go. Um, just use the uh, promo link, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, uh, and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, Predictit. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So we're going we're gonna to skip the, um, the college thing because it's just too easy. <laughs> they're, they're scumbags. And their kids are vapid idiots based on some of these videos. But we are going to talk about the Democrats and some equally disconcerting, weird, and interesting things that have been going on over the past few weeks. The battle for the soul of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So, So as the 2020 Democratic primary heats up, one thing is clear. This version of the Democratic Party is not shying away from controversial topics. Issues that might have once been seen as fringe have worked their way into the mainstream conversation, including packing the Supreme Court, which is adding additional justices beyond the nine, 
eliminating the Senate filibuster requiring 60 votes, and even the issue of reparations to address the legacy of slavery. These conversations are exposing a party that is struggling to articulate a unifying vision. In addition, the party finds itself in a bitter intra-party dispute over remarks by freshman Representative Ilhan Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota, that many have viewed as anti-Semitic. Uh, the dispute resulted in the passage of a resolution broadly condemning hatred, but not directly targeting Omar. President Trump seized upon the moment to suggest that Jewish people are leaving the Democratic Party, and they're leaving fast because of the anti-Semitism. In a tweet, he said that the anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party, and I'm going to read this slowly, quote, it got worst and worse. Worst. <laughs> W-O-R-S-T and worst. Uh, now, because Phil loves norms so much, why don't we start there? Phil, what do you make of uh, the Democratic candidates or some Democratic candidates embracing such a bold and norm-busting agenda? Mm. Is this good? <laughs> Busting norms? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, so on a, on a larger scale, um, separate from the topics being discussed... I think this is good. I think this is healthy, right? To have this, uh, even even if some of the ideas seem uh, extreme or, or far out there, uh, I mean, it's good to sort of have this discussion and debate about what you know where the party should be going. Um, I I don't think that many of these more sort of extreme uh, stances will stick, right? But that, it's it's good to have this conversation. I, you know, I think it's it would be good for the Republican Party to have this conversation about what do they actually believe and, and, and whatnot. Um, in general, I mean, I, I think this is, you didn't even touch on, like you, you, so on the, on the idea of the Democratic Party sort of moving leftward or getting a, a little bit more, uh, I don't know. What it's not, I don't know. I shouldn't. I don't want to say extreme or Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so you, you you named some stuff that's a little bit more on the fringe, but yeah. in other ways, that stuff that it's, it would have been absurd to imagine the Democratic Party considering, you know, ten years ago or, or you know even ten years ago, um, even like five years ago. But a lot of the stuff that they're even settling on, like Medicare for all, yeah. right, which is becoming this very popular uh, approach, was five or ten years ago sort of un, unforse unimaginable that that would be kind of the dominant um, idea I wonder how much of it is again because of the size of the of the you have a couple of factors at play one of which is that you have a huge group of people who are now running for president and there's a competition to sort of stand out from the crowd and so yeah. I think that's part of it on the other hand you have a whole bunch of new um, uh, Congress men and women who are also, I think to some extent, just getting disproportionate coverage, right? Like the, the extent to which we are fascinated with um, Omar and uh, Ocasio-Cortez, um, you know, in, in general, somebody who's brand new to Congress, we, we just, even if they were saying crazy stuff, we just wouldn't, they just wouldn't get that much news coverage. So um, I think there's a couple of factors in, in, in why these, these sort of ideas are, are standing out. But you know, I, I don't, I don't know. We can talk about the specific ideas, yeah. but I think the conversation is 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 good. And I think there, there's an interesting thing because you were talking about the some of the conversations that we weren't having five years ago. Some of that has even drifted over into the Republican Party. Mm. So now the idea, some of the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act elements are now embraced by Republicans, which they wouldn't have been because the public is open to those. Not all of them. Uh, and I think that you're right. The, the fact that there are so many Democratic candidates out there, some that are trying to make a name for themselves, it means that they can put the fire to the feet of the more centrist candidates and ask them questions like, 
what do you think about the Supreme Court? What do you think about the filibuster? Like, we, we need to push this agenda. Same thing with reparations. And, like, candidates like Bernie Sanders have been pushed on a lot of these issues, which I think Bernie knows is, is maybe not good long-term politics, but for, for a short-term candidate, you can get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Like, I, I tend to agree. In terms of Medicare for All and some of the other stances that they've they've put forward, they seem to be coalescing more more details and, and substance behind them, which I think is, is good. And it's something that does need to be discussed, not only in the Democratic Party, but the Republican Party and just a, a broader societal um, conversation. When we get down into things like trying to pack the Supreme yeah. Court and then reparations, this is just, it seems... It seems opportunistic and it seems short-sighted and like a, a political it seems like it seems like a political power grab trying to placate the increasing um uh uh progressive wing of the party yes which yes. seems <laughs> and, and, and you, you see what the hell was that um sorry something fell on me um you see reports about how there's not, you know, it's not an actual internal civil war within the Democratic Party. I, I think I think there is at this point. I think there's a, a real battle going on. As much as you can say that new members of Congress, you know, are in there now and they have new ideas that um, they're trying to uh, challenge the establishment, this is something that isn't going away. And you've kind of, you know, hitched your, your wagon to this particular star this is how you gain control of the house again, and you're, there's going to be a reckoning sure. uh, with oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's political suicide with some of these things. If you actually go with some of these initiatives that they're talking about, potential potential legislation, this is these are non-starters. They're they're dead on arrival, and they're fantastic fodder for the Republicans. You, the assumption for all of these, well, let's separate out, so the idea of doing, packing the Supreme Court and the Senate filibuster are distinct from reparations because those are two different conversations. To do the Supreme Court, to pack the Supreme Court, to add additional justices, and the idea there is that you would add justices to overwhelm the current conservative majority. So mm-hmm. you go beyond the current nine, maybe you add 10, 11, 12, and then you pack them. This is what FDR, Frank, Franklin Roosevelt, wanted to do to, to move the court in his direction. It's something that Hugo Chavez and Maduro in Venezuela have done. That with, is shocking to me. Right? So I am shocked. I, I think this is a terrible idea. Now, let me, the argument for it is that liberals are saying we need to get our agenda through, and if we get power, we should do this so that we can pursue a legislation that we think is really necessary for the country. Same thing with the filibuster. You eliminate that 60 vote uh, requirement so that you can get more legislation through. Uh, you don't have to worry about the glacial pace of the Senate. But uh, to your point, Nick, these things can come back to bite you because once you start doing them, the other side starts doing them. So I think this this idea that we should undermine the way that we've practiced democracy. The structural for, norms, if yes, you will. exactly. For short-term interest, I think is a, is a terrible idea. Phil, mm-hmm. you, you love norms. Tell me this is a bad idea. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It's a bad idea. I mean, I, I totally understand why people uh, want to toy with this idea, right? I mean, so the the uh, the Republicans over the past, the Republican Party over the past 
15 years or whatever, um, hasn't been all that concerned with norms. And it's been really effective. They've yeah. been able to do some stuff, right? So the Merrick Garland thing is an example of where uh, rather than going with sort of the established norm of how this would do, they sort of went with the technicalities of what they could do, right? And so, yeah. um, and that's been effective, right? And so it's allowed the Republicans to seize pretty you know strong our republican nominees to be the dominant uh group on the on the court it's allowed the republican party to essentially you know put uh serious breaks on obama's legislative uh um plans when he was president so i understand the frustration and and the the temptation to say essentially uh, if they're not going to play by the rules, we're silly to continue to play by the rules yes. and lose, right? To people who aren't abiding by the rules. Uh, but if the, I, I, you know, my the, where I come back at it is, uh, if if you're upset that the that that they're not playing by the rules, right? If they're not abiding by norms, um, if you're upset because those norms are important. It's very counterintuitive or counterproductive to say so. We're going to be done with the damn norms too. I, it's right. just a very short, short-sighted. Uh, approach, right? So I, I understand we're packing the court. Um, if if your goal is to, you know, essentially weaken Republican the Republican grasp on power or to, you know, push forward your agenda, um, it would make sense in a ten-year time frame to want to pack the court or to do away with the filibuster. But in the long term, that's it's just going to be disastrous, right? Because the next time a Republicans in office, yes. they're going to stack it even more, and mm -hmm. they're going to. Um, anyway, well, it, it, we've talked about this book that I love, How Democracies Die. And these are two political scientists who look at histories of where democracies have crumbled. And what they find is that it's when these norms start eroding and one side makes a justification. We've got to do this because our legislative agenda is so important uh, that we're going to ignore previous practices. And then when the other side, to Phil's point, gets in power, they do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the, the norms, the system as a whole crumbles from within. So. I get you're right, Phil. I get the impulse of Democrats to say, like, we want to be aggressive, we want to be ambitious, we want to pursue this agenda, but you got to play within the rules of the game, even if the other side doesn't always do that. You still have to respect those institutions. Well, realistically, if we are having this conversation uh, about changes to these <clears throat> institutions and, and institutional norms, then have that conversation mm -hmm. at a bipartisan level and make it that you're you're the adults in the room you want to make changes to the system you want the uh, policies that are for the betterment of society and you know incremental policy changes are hurting that so let's let's look at everything from the ground up and work with the republicans as as corny as that sounds but that's much better pr than saying we're just going to put more justices on the supreme court i i mean this is this is a golden opportunity to not only affect change but make the i, I mean make the the institutional norms solid again to 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 make the institutions function the way that they're supposed <clears throat> supposed to function I, um, I couldn't agree with you more Nick. i know right <laughs> well and the other thing is why are the democrats i mean i understand why they're talking about this because it's a primary like you said phil you want to get these big ideas out there but the minute you talk about smashing norms republicans are listening to this so mitch mcconnell is hearing democrats talk about breaking the 60 uh, vote uh, requirement in the senate uh, why might he just say, hey, Repub Democrats are going to do this eventually. This is slowing us down. Why don't we now do this as well? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, it's 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 bad for the democracy. It's, mm -hmm. it's just bad, bad policy. But, but it's where so I, it's where I think the conversation is. It's good that the conversation is mm -hmm. is happening. 
but somebody needs to be making a good you know i i would like to there are elements within the democratic party who are arguing for this but there need the democratic party as a sort of institution needs to be able to make a good argument for why that's not the best way forward mm -hmm. right so yeah. the conversation should happen um, but the result of the conversation shouldn't be to just squash these ideas or whatever. It should be to, you know, talk about why that's not a great idea and why uh, the thing. So the, the Democrats should talk about it in a way that will convince the more, you know, ideally the more, you know, radical uh, the, the sort of further left elements of the party. But ideally, also convince Republican voters mm -hmm. that right. norms are important, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, that's where, you know, how does Mitch McConnell get away with some of the stuff he does? It's because uh, Republican voters support that. But if you can convince voters that, hey, you know, in institutions and norms are important no matter which side you're on, that's how you combat this as well. Mm -hmm. That's that's really naive of me, I know, but <laughs> I, still, I still like to believe it. Well, no, that's right. And, and the reality, to Nick's earlier point, this is not, I mean, Democrats are not going to get control of the Senate. They're not going to be able to do any of this. So it is, it's hypothetical, but that's the right reaction to the idea. The issue of reparations for me is a really fascinating one. Phil and I, we were sending a few articles back and forth this week reparations is a tough one and they asked bernie sanders about this and he was reluctant to engage and i think politically that's a smart thing to do because reparations is so complicated mm. and difficult but this was it this week or last week david brooks uh conservative writer for the new york times and we don't have time to get into this but he wrote an article making the case for reparations and he says you know i'm a conservative i i've changed my view on this and his article was really eye-opening, and listeners should should go and read it because he's making a case for reparations from a conservative perspective. It was really, really powerful, and I would like to see that broader conversation, not just among Democrats, but I was really, I was engaged that a conservative was saying, this is something that if we think about sin and we think about culpability, this is a conversation that needs to take place, so... It was it was fascinating. Mm. It's really surprising. I mean, he even talks yeah. about in that article how uh, just a few years ago he was opposed to the idea as impractical and, you know, uh, it, it wasn't feasible and, and that he from stuff he's seen in the last few years has sort of come around to it. He doesn't talk about the details of how it would no. work or whatever, but it's really a statement yeah. about the sort of morality of it and why he thinks it's important to do. But, yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, strange conversations are happening on both sides yeah. of the aisle, right? It's not just Democrats. It's like a, it's a really interesting point in, and I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about the Trump era and the sort of scrambling of norms, right? And so when that happens, it's going to force, uh, or it's going to result in a lot of these discussions, right? He, he's really changing the way people think about politics <laughs> and, and, and in ways that, uh, you know, are exciting yeah yeah yes. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> question mark yes. um no i <clears throat> um i don't necessarily agree with the sentiment but i think it's i think it's proof that this is a a, a wider kind of phenomenon that we're seeing um you know in in the trump era this is forcing people to kind of realign their thought process and 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 uh method of 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 uh, perception um, and I'm I, I personally think that's a, a real positive um, that's come out of this uh, which I was kind of not expecting at this point uh, and it seems to be gaining momentum so I'm hoping that something more um, again institutionalized comes out of this um, I, I don't really expect it but um, I think this is something that could 
beyond the Trump administration could potentially grow and be some be a, a, a extremely um, effective uh, and important kind of realigning societal force that we haven't seen and probably wouldn't see if we weren't in this particular situation. That's right. And that that's a good thing, right? The, mm-hmm. <clears throat> suddenly there is space for conversations that we couldn't have before. Those are really, really good. At the same time, I feel like our political discourse is is divided between these really engaging conversations and these absolutely moronic conversations. Man, it's bad. Right, right. Wall. Right, right. And that's, that's and I don't know, I, I know who's going to win, but you know, that's <laughs> frustrating. Uh, even on the Democrats, we can maybe transition to talking about uh, Omar and, and the, the Democrats struggling with this, how to how to handle her and and the fact that she says things and the danger to Democrats. I mean, this was... Nancy Pelosi is not pleased with, with with the more insurgent forces within the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, what's your sense of? I mean, uh, did you think the Democrats did a decent job handling this with this very general uh, con- uh, the resolution to say condemning hate? Phil, we condemn hate, right? Because so, so, you know we're not going to get into the details of why we hate hate, but we right. hate it. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean that, that's a meaningless resolution, right? Like, what a way. But the amazing thing to me, and I, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to come back around to the fact that even though it's a totally meaningless resolution, it, there were what like, there were like 15 Republicans mm-hmm. who voted against it, who like yes. refused to condemn hatred. Like, I, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm holding out to my view on hate here. <laughs> yeah. Was it was it hatred or was it was it just hatred? It wasn't like racism. It was just I, I think all the maybe all the yeah they might have been there <laughs> bad too. Stuff. <laughs> bad stuff. All is bad. of the buzzwords. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I I, I can't quite decide. I, I don't. Um, I, it feels a little bit like um, the. I, I mean, I guess I have two sort of takes on it. One of which is that uh, it feels like the Democratic Party was sort of trying to quickly react to to what was like public opinion. I. The idea of, again, conversations are good, right? And so having a conversation about support for Israel and whether that's a good thing for the United States and whether or not, you know, Israeli policies towards Palestinians are problematic, like that's all, that's all, those are all good conversations to have that don't have to drift. I know that they, they tend to drift into discussions of, of you know, uh, of religion and Jews and stuff like that. Um, but it's just a, a discussion of policy, of Israeli policy, could be you know it's something that the Democratic Party should should talk mm-hmm. about. And I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't love the fact that they just quickly reacted with you know Shh, don't let's not you know let's not talk let's not say that. Um, well, some of that is the news cycle though, right? Because the right. longer the Democrats are forced to talk about this, it enables and empowers right. the Republicans. I mean, Trump was loving this. Trump, who who has his own demons to answer to for some of the more anti-Semitic things that he's suggested now is able to pile on the 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 democrats so i get why they want to move this on but you're you're right that a a meaningful conversation would be would be appropriate i also get why nancy pelosi is super frustrated by this right just taken back the house um and you know the, the i again from a comparative politics perspective most other countries have far stronger party discipline the idea that the democrats take over the house and the thing that they're focused on is trying to get these brand new congress uh, yeah. women and men um in line with their agenda because they you know they see their individual agenda as you know more important than the democratic party agenda uh, it's you know it, it's a very American notion of like the individuality and they're there to represent themselves and their district and, and whatnot. But 
from a broader perspective, it's a really ineffective political strategy. Yeah. Mm. And so uh, the the idea, you know, it, it must just drive Nancy Pelosi crazy that you have, a, you know, a president who's you're opening, you know, hearings, you're trying to put together an agenda leading up to the presidential election. Right. And you're trying to focus on things like corruption and, you know, economic issues and the stuff that you think will help the party get elected. And instead, you're having to put out these sort of constant fires about, you know, uh, whether or not we're going to be allowed to have hamburgers and whether or not the, <laughs> right. you know, the Muslim in Congress hates Jews. Like, it's, yeah. Very important. <laughs> right. well, and, touch my fucking hamburgers, it's going to be a problem. Or your straws. That was or the my thing. straws. Yeah, Nunez wants to, yeah, they're all going to take your straws like away. It, that of the two, anti-Semitism, or they're going to touch your hamburgers. You were like, yeah, I think they're going to touch my hamburgers. Well, uh, hamburgers t- or riots. Right. We've touched on this on previous weeks. There, there are... There are two discussions that take place around this. One is the issue of understanding Israel, understanding Israel's foreign policy, the relationship of the United States to Israel. All of that are legitimate conversations. And there are also questions of, is somebody using anti-Semitic language? And and I think Omar probably blurs that line. And some of the stuff that she does crosses over and is is problematic, to use our favorite word here. Mm That being said, I feel like once that happens, it just precludes any other conversation about Israel and about what the relationship the United States should have with Israel, like the, you know, Netanyahu. All of that just gets blurred because of this, and that that felt like a, it felt to me like the country is not ready to have that conversation, which it needs to have. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, you guys have have said it. Uh, I mean, this is all of these conversations are conversations that need to happen, so we don't have instances like this yeah. anymore. Realistically. I mean, I don't think she's a, a good congresswoman. I, 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 based off of what she said previously prior to being in Congress and her behavior after this incident and trying to, you know, kind of mold the conversation. I didn't really say that. Well, we have video of you saying it. Well, that's, eh. um, it's I, I, I think there's I think there's significant weakness in the Democratic Party in the sense of cohesiveness um, that Nancy Pelosi is not putting up with, but there's there are enough cracks in the foundation that it it could really, I, I mean it's 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 a significant detriment right now if they don't get their their house in order that I, I think it spells not doom but um, significant hardship leading up to twenty uh, twenty. I, 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 I'm not so sure. I don't, Nick, I kind of feel like this, a week, two weeks from now, this will all go away. You're right, and like there will be of, something else yeah, that it, it they've now like, latched on. Well, maybe that's the case, yeah. What, what is, what's, so here, I, I've thought about this some this week, and I haven't come to any conclusion, so I'm wondering what you think. Why, why does this happen, right? So it, it happens because she's saying controversial things, but... Um, you know, Steve King's been in 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 Congress for like decades and says has said not like stuff that could be interpreted as racist, right? right? He just outright says crazy stuff, and and there there are crazy people like I you know I'm from Texas. There's some uh, there are some crazy <laughs> congressmen from Texas who say insane stuff, right? So there are Republicans who do this sort of thing. But it doesn't seem to get as much traction, and and mm-hmm, so I, yeah. I is it is it that the media is 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 like has is it the Republicans play the game better? Is it that the media picks this up? Is it that the media is worried about seeing bias, seeming biased, so they focus on these things? Like what? Why is it that that this these sorts of things really catch on? 
uh, in this instance, as opposed to, you know, Steve King says something crazy and it's and then we just move on. Is it because we've come to accept that Steve King is crazy and so it's no longer newsworthy? Well, it's, I, it's, go ahead. No, I, I just I think they've um, to their benefit and, and their detriment. Obviously, I think the Democrats have backed themselves into a corner where they are they're the party of everybody pretty much except white men at this point. Um, and there's I, a few running around. There's a few yeah. here and there. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, they're they are they're all of the this coalition of ideas and people, and we don't tolerate anything, anything like this, uh, in the sense of of you know hatred and bigotry and all these things. Um, but they don't have a good policy for dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Realistically, all of these things still happen on their side. It just it, it seems easier from a political perspective, I think, from the Democratic perspective to get rid of it and then deal with it internally as opposed to having a longer discussion about sure. it. And you can't come off hypocritical for a long period of time. So we'll do we'll pass a resolution saying we hate hate and hate is bad and we we hate all the haters. <laughs> um I, I, and I, that doesn't do anything. Like I would, I would respect them so much more if things like this happen. And again, we've been talking about it for a half hour now. If you had a dialogue about this, an interparty dialogue about all of these issues, and you know, brought members of Congress in and experts in the field and people with individual stories to talk about this, I would respect that. But this is you. You just seem again opportunistic and politically motivated and not concerned with the issues themselves. Well, that's the reality. They, I mean, so yeah, the Democrats are, have embraced diversity and so that brings, uh, uh, raises the bar, right? So you have to be more tolerant and so it's it's easier to attack the Democrats when they do this. And you're right, Nick. I mean, Democrats are trying to do two things. They say we believe in values and ideals. We're also trying to win elections, right? So those two things t- come into conflict. The one thing I thought was interesting this week is you go to go back to Stephen King, is that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was critical of Steve King. So she did a press conference, which was actually news in and of itself because there aren't any more press briefings anymore. But she did one, and she was attacking the Democrats and Omar for her language, saying this is unacceptable. And, of course, somebody says, what about Steve King? And so she's critical of him. And then, she, and then somebody asked her back, what about President Trump? He hasn't publicly said anything critical. And she said, he's criticized King to me privately, right? You know, which is sort of, so there's a little bit of movement here to say that what King has done is unacceptable. So even though Trump doesn't publicly do that, if the Republicans want to go after Omar for this, they've, gotta, they've also got to be critical of, of King. So that's, you know, maybe baby steps, uh, but, you know, it's, it's something. I don't think they have to be. <laughs> you don't think my, so? my lesson of the Republican Party is that they can be they can be critical of Omar without being critical of mm-hmm. Stephen King, right? So maybe this is this, this is progress then. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, what have we heard anything about um, Virginia at this point? The whole blackface incident, right? What it's, has happened? It's still playing out, right? So the the Attorney General is continuing to call for the governor to step down, right? Uh, the lieutenant governor is facing his own legal problems. Uh, it has moved away a little bit, but there still is pressure, right? Uh, and I hope this doesn't go away. Sure, but yeah. when was the last time you saw a story about that? Probably since the last time we talked about right. it, yeah. weeks ago at yeah. this point. Yeah. The, yeah, the public and the public has a short attention span. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, 
And, and again, Democrat. I will say, like Democrats have continued to push, but it's not necessarily newsworthy. Nobody's position has changed. Uh, but if he doesn't leave power, what? There's not much they can do. No, but that's that's the party platform. Like, I, I mean, he should have left by now. Should he not have? He should have moonwalked sure. his way out of there. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. But is it? I mean, it's. It seems to me it's politically expedient to keep him there. You can say that there's there are investigations going on and there's pressure until he serves his term and then the pressure doesn't matter anymore. Sure. No, it, it's absolutely. Um, and it's this balancing of political interest versus your your core values. And, and Democrats don't always get that right. And I don't think they got it right this week. Mm-hmm. No. Speaking of getting it right, Phil, what kind of beer did you have? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I went down to Brutopia this afternoon and I um, got my stock, restocked my, my beer supply. Uh, and he's always good about giving me lots of good IPAs that he recommends. But I also said, I want to branch out some. And he said, have you ever had, do you like peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> so I've made fun of you guys for drinking peanut butter stouts. But I, I said, let me try it. So I, I'm, tonight I'm drinking, uh, it's called Gunner's Daughter Milk Stout. It's from Mast Landing Brewing Company. It's in uh, Maine. And I've had some beers from mass landing in the past that i really liked um and uh this isn't one of them. <laughs> now I, I should say i looked up before i came on here i looked up reviews online and this beer gets great reviews so i i, I think you know if you like if you like the peanut butter stout it's probably it's very smooth it's got it's got really like the flavor is really nice it's mm-hmm. just it's weird for a beer to taste. It, it tastes like somebody took a cup of coffee and then like crumbled up a brownie and a peanut butter cookie in it. And then that's, you know, Ew. that's okay. But it's not beer. I don't get yeah. it. Uh, but again, having said that, the people on, you know, Beer Advocate and everywhere else seem to think it's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I am probably the idiot in this case. But it's just, it's just not, my, the, it's not my cup of beer. You're the problem. Yeah. Nick, what are we enjoying? Uh, so we had a uh, Three Floyds, uh, part of their Pig Destroyer series. Uh, Army of Hops um, Part 2 in our Pig Destroyer beer series uh, Lactose IPA uh, Unsettling and enthralling combination Of a massive hop charge With the silky addition of milk sugar I didn't get any of that No It, it, was, it was a weird beer Nick <laughs> You know when I first had it Like I said it yeah. was either I thought I tasted apricot or yeah. peach or something And then I haven't tasted it since Um it had this kind of weird. Um, it, it was lactose. It had yeah. this weird kind of suspended, hazy, um, spoiled milk, spo- spoiled milk <laughs> element to yes. it. Um, I, honestly, God, I I liked it. We had their the the first part of the series. I don't know a couple weeks ago or something like that, and that was not very good. This one I actually did not mind. It was just hoppy enough. Mm-hmm. It had a little bit of sweetness to it, um, and it was. It, there really wasn't a lot of carbonation to it, but no. I think that was balanced out with the bite of the hops, which um, I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty decent. It, it was okay for me. It was you're right. It was it was more flat in the terms. There wasn't a lot of bubbles to it, but uh, yeah, the appearance was terrible. I mean, it really looked <laughs> awful. <laughs> so and maybe that maybe that is the lactose. I'm a Coors Light man. Yeah, we'll have to. Tom, Doesn't look like I just peed into a bottle. A, I don't want it. Let's bring Tom back to explain why we want lactose and beer. But uh, <laughs> it, it was okay. It was better than it looked, but it wasn't. Uh, I didn't feel inspired to return to it. So all right yeah, then. Yeah. <laughs> if um, 
If you want to uh, check out our reviews of all of these delicious beers that we try in the podcast, uh, download Untapped uh, on iOS or Android. Uh, look for Barstool Politics. You can find uh, the reviews for all of the beers that we try. So do that. It's Sounds fun. good. Speed round. Oh, yeah. All right. So for the second time in less than a week, President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was sentenced in a criminal case. Uh, last Wednesday, Manafort, who is 69, received a rather lenient 47-month prison term from Judge T.S. Ellis in federal court in Virginia. Today, he received uh, roughly 73 months from Judge Amy Berman Jackson. In total, he faces about seven and a half years in jail, and there's still the possibility that Trump will pardon Manafort. And then less than an hour after he was after today's sentencing, he was charged with a new criminal case dealing with mortgage fraud, falsifying business records, and conspiracy in New York State. It's just vindictive. Oh, man. And the timing <laughs> certainly is. Like, mm-hmm. you think you're okay? We're going to pull you back in. So, Phil, Manafort avoided the worst and is only going to jail for roughly seven years. He's still a criminal, and he still was the president's former campaign chairman. What should we think of all of this? Well, I mean, so, uh, again, lots of different angles to touch on here, one of which is that yeah, one of the president's closest confidants and campaign manager is going to prison for, you know, what's inching up on a decade. That that's huge, right? Beyond like so all, you know, all the stuff about, you know, Mueller investigations and whether they've done like even if if nothing else were to come from it, that's a significant thing. Um and and would be a massive scandal in any other presidency. Um uh and so yeah, it's 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 the fact that he's on his way to jail for seven and a half years and facing other charges at the state level um, is is huge news. Um, the fact that he got such a small sentence after the so the the I, I don't know what the what the sentencing guidelines were for today when he got four years ish, but I want to say the, the ten, one, I think they were saying they were they were saying ten years for this round for which this was, round and he got was less four. than last week they were saying it was like. 20 years to 20 years yeah. or something and they gave him less than four right. um so I, I you know i'm not i'm not a courts expert but my understanding is that that's pretty surprising that typically the the guidelines aren't just made up it's not like a ambitious it's not that the prosecutor is the one who says um you know this guy's really bad and i want a win here it's that that there are actual people who look at sort of comparable cases and other in the past what this you know what this sort of uh, situation would result in and so for the recommendation to be whatever 20 years and for the judge to basically say he's that, that's the other part the judge basically said he's lived an otherwise what blameless life or something um, and gave <laughs> and him Battleford has been criminal he's been a criminal a whole bunch of different ways for a long period of time yeah right <laughs> so the fact that like that's that's um that's <laughs> pretty appalling i think in the end though you know i you know if i look at the idea of what he's done is it deserves a lot of time in prison and so seven and a half years of your life in prison is a lot of time in prison and so you know a lot of people have been comparing that all this stuff he did working for foreign governments and committing fraud at the highest levels and hiding millions of dollars and that he got four years which is like similar to people who have you know been caught in possession of pot or stole you know a hundred dollars from a laundromat or whatever and um I think the comparison is is worth noting, but I think in some ways the lesson should be that why are we sending someone who stole a hundred dollars and quarters to prison yeah. for four years? Why are we sending someone who possesses pot to prison for years? Like that that maybe 
Manafort sentence should have been a little higher, but really on the other end, these other sentences should be way lower. Yeah. I mean, he could have hurt someone with those quarters. If he bashed you <laughs> in the back of the head with that, that would have hurt. I mean, that's, I don't know. I agree with that one. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know, I, I, there's not much to say about this. I, I think he's a scumbag. I, I don't think it was the right sentence, like realistically. Um, and, you know, we, we make jokes about the, the whole college entrance thing and, and students. This is it. There's one of two things that happen. It's either he cooperated to the point where they thought he deserved a reduced sentence or he's a, a, a privileged, rich asshole who made a deal for himself. I frankly think it's the latter, given his behavior while he's been in custody. Because he continues lying, right? right? This is the opposite of cooperation. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> they, they talked about in the, I don't know if it was this time or last week, they said they listed all the people he's lied to just since he was charged. Right. He is was, incapable. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, like, in, this this is another conversation that we need to have. And, and you, you brought it up, Phil, that these people continue to get away with murder pretty much while... You know, dime bags of of pot or what? I don't even know how the fuck it works. To be perfectly honest, I don't know what the terminology is. Um, good, good cover, Nick. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's just ridiculous that no one is held accountable in these decisions that affect, you know, thousands or millions of people's lives. Affect affect the outcomes of of elections and foreign policy and uh, and you know, business decisions or, or the stock market, you know, this is, this is Bernie Madoff. This is Enron. This is all of that shit. And no one is ever held accountable for it. Um, so that needs to change. But Bernie Madoff is, is in jail for the rest of his life, right? I mean, he's, he's going to live like what? Another 10 years at most? Massive sentence though, right? Yeah. So I mean, I he's think like, he, right, was, he's, he wasn't carrying out that fraud while working for the president of the United right, States. Right, right. Yeah, I think if, if I'm if I'm a version of Manafort and I'm doing what he did, I look at this and go like, huh, only seven years? Mm-hmm. I think I'll keep doing this. Like this is not, and I don't know if, if sentencing should be a deterrent. That's a whole other conversation. But you certainly aren't cracking down on some of what he was doing, including lying to, you know, lying to Congress and lying to federal officials. Right. The, it, this. This isn't particularly punitive. Um, Only seven years, and he probably wouldn't have gotten caught if he hadn't been so stupid as to get involved in a presidential campaign. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. I also wonder, I, I think there, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the pardon with Trump. Is Trump likely to pardon him? And I, I think now my thought is, yeah, I think this is not not soon. He'll wait till it's, you know, politically advantageous. But I would I would be shocked if Trump doesn't pardon him. He continues to call him a good man. Uh, he continues to attack the process that is uh, uh, going after Manafort. Interestingly, the Republican Party was tweeting, you know, saying that this was unjust as well. I mean, it, it's one thing when Trump does it, but when the party as a whole is is going after this, uh, I, I, it, it's interesting. But I, that's biz- I, yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, right? because mm-hmm. the, the traditional, the sort of standard operating procedure of a politician or a political party in the past would be if if someone involved is you know goes down for federal crimes and is going to jail you distance yourself even if you love them and you yeah. told them to do everything you're like this is we you know we are unaware and this is terrible and you know tough yeah. but it's weird to see them just stand by him and paid really no price for it 
I was thinking about Barack Obama when he was running for president and Jeremiah Wright, his pastor, who had said mm. some extreme things. And, and Obama had to leave the church and say, I, you know, d- d- disavow him, all of that. Now, like, uh, he's a fe- he's a, fe- a felon. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Nick. Yeah. I think we should bring back the firing squad just for these particular kind of white <laughs> uh, white collar crimes. I think that would be a deterrent. I know, right? It works. Yes, it, that would work. Yeah, you're gonna tell me firing squad won't work? I'll take that bet. <laughs> Put it on predict it now. <laughs> All right, topic number two. I'm excited about this one. So Dick Cheney versus Mike Pence. So leave it to Dick Cheney to ruin a nice afternoon. What many thought would be a fun chat between Vice President Pence and former Vice President Richard Cheney quickly turned into a vigorous back and forth over the foreign policy decisions of the Trump administration. Cheney even went so far as to suggest that Trump's foreign policy instincts were similar to those of his Democratic predecessor, Barack Obama. Ooh. At the closed-door retreat... <laughs> Ooh, yes. <laughs> yes. Hosted by the American Enterprise Institute, Cheney repeatedly pressed Pence on a number of the president's foreign policy actions. Specifically, Cheney expressed concern over the treatment of the U.S.'s NATO allies... He, uh, he pressed Pence over Trump's embrace of autocrats and his apparent withdrawal from military efforts in the Middle East. Cheney also critiqued Trump's decision to cancel the decades-long U.S. military exercises with South Korea. Phil, the divide between Cheney's hawkish foreign policy and Trump's much more isolationist foreign policy is striking. Moreover, it reveals just how dramatically the Republican Party has shifted on foreign policy. This, I, you know, this really struck me because it was it was seeing Cheney again talk about these issues, and it brought us back to the two thousands. What was what was your sense of it or reaction? Well, I, you know, I haven't I haven't I haven't actually seen much of the any of the conversation, but um, yeah, I mean, this is there's a real it, it's it's useful because of the extent to which it does bring out this contrast, right? Dick yeah. Cheney is representative of the Republican Party, certainly the foreign policy aspect of it. From you know, for the 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 sort of thirty years prior to to uh, two thousand and eight, basically, um, and yeah, I mean, we've been. I, I think it's an interesting contrast, not just because of the foreign policy aspect, right? We've talked about how it's it's really kind of unclear what Trump's foreign policy is or what's motivating it. Um, uh, you know, Dick Cheney has very clear sort of principles on view or views on foreign policy. Donald Trump doesn't seem to. And so I, that's the kind of the core of the, of the contrast, but, but, you know, even Mike Pence and Dick Cheney is the startling contrast where, where Dick Cheney as vice president was like, not about to, you know, give in on any of his views. He was shaping the presidency. And then you see Pence who has all of these very strong views on, you know, gay rights and all sorts of abortion policy, totally selling out and caving to be a part of the Trump yes. presidency. So it's, yes. it's it, I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I don't like Dick Cheney, but the contract, like there's at least, there's something about him that really makes Pence look even, I don't know, slimier to me. There's an integrity to sticking to your principles. And I, again, I, I disagree. Even if, even if they're crappy principles, yes, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I disagree Is with that him. where we are right now? <laughs> yes. I disagree with Cheney on many of his, his foreign policy perspectives, but <clears throat> he sticks with them in an authentic way where Pence is, Pence is totally given up on anything he believes to be close to power. But his foreign policy principles were based around making money off of the places that they invaded. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. There was there's some of that, Nick. <laughs> I do I do think that a but lot he of what, knew motiv- what he was about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think Cheney was motivated less. I mean, we think about Trump being motivated by financial interest. I think Cheney was 
even though I disagree with him, I think he was motivated by what he thought would keep the country safe. I disagree with that assessment. And it just so happened that he also could make lots of money. Yes. Off of win, 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 win. <laughs> right. Right. So. I, I don't know. This is just fucking two turds sitting in a room. Like, I just, <laughs> it's just that, that terrible. That might be a better name of the episode, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, he, uh, I like. I, I, I agree with all of these sentiments. <clears throat> I think Cheney is a, a hypocritical asshole for questioning anybody on foreign policy, given the the record of the Bush II uh, administration. Um, and you're talking about NATO allies who you pretty much strong-armed uh, into going into Afghanistan and Iraq, um, which realistically all of us supported at the time. I, I supported it at the time. Um, but don't tell me that that was good foreign policy. Um, and I, realistically, Pence is... I can't put my finger on that guy. It's hard to put a finger on a robot. He, um, he looks so lovingly at Trump all the time. He's always, he's mm -hmm. always given that eyes. Yeah, I just... I, I, don't, I can't tell if he's so... He's so instinctive and conniving that he's just waiting for an opportunity to... to uh, help his position uh, politically, or if he he's he's just an empty vessel and doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I'm really conflicted on it. I think he realizes this is a way to, for him to be president of the United States, mm -hmm. and there are very few people who've had that position. And he's going to do whatever it takes. His wife apparently despises Trump with like just this just extreme hatred, but Pence knows. I mean, I, Pence gets how much of a hypocrite he is. But, you know, power is, it's alluring. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. It, yeah. <laughs> Bill, if after this uh, <clears throat> podcast was over, someone came in and told you at gunpoint that you had to put in your will that your children, when you die, go to either Dick Cheney or Mike Pence, who would you choose? Mike Pence. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'd choose Dick Cheney. Well, no, actually, no. no, no wait, now that I think about it. Dick Cheney was was apparently wonderful to his daughter. And so the movie Vice talked about, you know, even though the Republican platform was very anti-gay at that point, um, even today, uh, he was op he was open to his daughter. So, no, I think you're right. It is it is certainly Dick Cheney who is the more loving when it comes to, when it comes to foreign policy, though. <laughs> the other thing that strikes me about this is how far we've moved from this in some ways bipartisan consensus about U.S. foreign policy, even though Cheney and the neoconservatives were more on the extreme, there were certain core principles, NATO, uh, you know, you cared about the Middle East, and, and I think we've seen that the Trump administration has moved dramatically from that, that position. Uh, it it, it, it feels like there's a, sort of an emerging bipartisan consensus that the U.S. foreign policy of the early 2000s is bad. Yeah. But what that what that means, yeah. what's the alternative? I, that's where we right. end up with people all over the place with different ideas. And, and it, I don't see like what the emerging consensus is. I don't see an emerging consensus. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years. One move that actually this is a bipartisan move, but Nancy Pelosi led the effort to bring somebody from NATO to address the con uh, the Congress. I think that was a really brilliant move. And, and Republicans supported this, is to kind of reaffirm this NATO yep. alliance. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, Turds. Yeah, I, I love it. All right, <laughs> next topic. Well, boys, it looks like we're not going to get an impeachment. I'm sorry. Count it. Yeah. <laughs> On Monday, Nancy Pelosi of California made, her, made clear her objections to trying to remove the pre President Trump, stating, I am not for impeachment. 
Impeachment is so divisive to the country that unless there's something so compelling and overwhelming and bipartisan, I don't think we should go down that path because it divides the country. And to just poke the bear, she added, and he's just not worth it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, While she made her aversion to impeachment clear in the past, these remarks were the most expansive and are likely to irk some liberal rank-and-file members, some of which we've talked about, of her party. Her remarks echoed the long-standing position of the House Judiciary Committee Chairman, uh, Nadler of New York, who has said he does not want to move forward with impeachment unless he has substantial Republican support. Phil, this strikes me as a pretty crafty move by the Speaker. What's your What's your take on it? Yeah, I think she's I think she's really smart, and I think that there you're I, I I think you would make a mistake to read too much into it, right? I mean, the statement that she made, which is that I'm opposed to impeachment unless it's something really serious and there's bipartisan support is essentially like saying I am imposed to impeachment unless there's something impeachable, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. In order for impeachment to occur, there has to be bipartisan support and it has to be something really significant. And so I think, you know, we've talked about the danger of the Democrats sort of going down the impeachment road too quickly um, for, for a variety of reasons. And I think that what they want right now is to start to lay out an, a policy agenda, especially leading up into the presidential elections, um, <clears throat> to make a statement about what the Democratic Party is for. No, knowing all at the all the while, there are new investigations opening up as the Democrats control the the Mueller reports coming out. Like, if you know, if the Mueller report shows something really damning, it's not that she's going to still say, "Well, I I think impeaching is divisive." Right at that point, she's going to be on board with it. So I I think it's a um, it's just a, I think it's a smart move and I, I don't think it's as I, there was more made out of it than I think should have been in the in the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a good talking point, Nick. It was. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. <clears throat> I think given the um, pushback that she's gotten from a lot of uh, especially the new members uh, of Congress, you kind of, for lack of a better term, have to assert your dominance as, as at, at the top of the pile. Um yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's it's a fairly obvious statement. Um, I think there's potential room to to consider that there's they have enough information internally to suggest that they think it's not going to be a slam dunk for impeachment. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we'll see what the 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 Mueller investigation comes out with uh, on top of the several other investigations. Um, I, I, again, like I've said from the beginning, I don't think he'll be impeached. I don't think the case is there. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a smart move. I don't like to give her a lot of credit on anything. I think it was a, a simple yet effective move on mm-hmm. her part. I'm torn on this because I think you're both of you are right. It's the smart thing to do. You wait. You wait for the evidence. And if there is so clear evidence that, that Trump has done something that's impeachable, then you move forward. At the same time, when I look at the totality of evidence and I look at his general unfitness for office, this strikes me as a moment when the Congress should, in a bipartisan way, to say, hey, it's time to move on, right? I mean, I mean, Nick and I were talking before we went on air, Trump's tweets about the air, like the airplanes and how they're yeah. too complicated. Nick? Room for discussion. <laughs> There's room. So, so, all right. But so my, my thought on this is, like, there, there is enough. If we wanted to impeach, I think I, I would have no problem in it. sort of a political science-y way to say that this president deserves to have a conversation about impeachment. 
Um, that being said, I think it, it, the second reason it's smart is that the Democratic primary candidates are trying to establish themselves. They're trying to say, you know, this is why you should vote for me. The minute the Democrats move towards impeachment, that sucks all the air out of that conversation. It's all about impeachment. Mm-hmm. You know, Beto or Biden or any of these other candidates get no conversation. Whereas if if there is no talk about impeachment, we those those candidates are center stage making their case for why they should be president. So politically, I get the case. I'm, I'm not so convinced that there isn't grounds for impeachment. I I, I think there is grounds for impeachment. Like, <laughs> just look at the like the what he's done out in the open is is grounds for impeachment. I think but if you do it in the open, it's I, not illegal. No, I, I know. I don't. <laughs> I don't think it's that they're that. Nancy Pelosi is waiting for the evidence. I think the evidence is there. She's waiting for the votes, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have all the evidence in the world. Like you could there could be like a video of, you know, Donald Trump beating someone to death. But if the Republicans aren't prepared to vote him, vote for impeachment, it, it's, you know, to to move forward on that when you don't have the votes would be <clears> problematic. <throat> so I think if it becomes clear that Republicans are wavering or as as Mueller's as Mueller's investigation comes out as House investigations move forward. If more stuff comes out and Republicans start to waver, the tune of the Democratic Party will change very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the time being, it's, yeah, it's not about it's not about lack of evidence. It's about lack of support within Congress at this point. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And and as we get closer to the election, the incentive to impeach probably decreases, right? I mean, because at some point he's you know the the electorate, the populace can remove him. And as the the drip 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 from these election, I'm sorry, these investigations play out, it could be really bad for Trump. So mm-hmm. yeah. if 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 Democrats had you know 66 seats in the Senate right now um, or whatever, you know, if the Democrats had 100 percent of the seats in the Senate right now, <clears throat> there would be impeachment proceedings going on as we speak. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. If they if they could do it, they would be doing it. I have no doubt. Yeah. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're- Next topic is very political science and I'm so excited. So this is a good one. On Tuesday, President Trump said his administration is thinking, quote, very seriously about designating Mexican drunk, drug, drug, drunk, drug, drunk cartels. Yes, drunk drug cartels, cartels oh, man, as I be foreign part of one of those. terrorist organizations. <clears throat> Again, to go back to Trump, we are, we are, Trump told the news. <laughs> We're thinking about doing it very seriously. In fact, we've been thinking about it for a long time. As terrorist, as terrorist organization, the answer is yes, they are, unquote. Oh, my God. His comments come in the wake of his declaration of a national emergency at the U.S.-Mexico border last month, a move designed to spend more money on the border barriers than authorized by Congress. Phil, as academics, we spend a lot of time thinking about definitions, and I find this potential expansion of the definition of terrorism to be fascinating. If someone listed drug cartel as an example of terrorism on one of your exams, do they get full credit? Uh, that would depend. <laughs> it depends Was the student on what annoying all semester? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so first of all, I have a question, then I want to get to that. So, what, what did he? What was he responding to? A question from Breitbart? Did somebody say, "Are drug cartels terrorists?" To which he's doing this, or has this actually been something they've discussed? Is it something they've discussed, or is it that a, a reporter says this idea and he's like, "Yes, we're considering that." <laughs> I, I, my thought is they've had to consider this, right? I, I think it is. I, I don't know for certain, but my guess is so, that they've been kicking it around. So here's my answer. Drug cartels are not terrorist. Drug cartels can be terrorist organizations, but being a drug cartel does not make you a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. So in order to be, you know, terrorism has to involve violence against civilians. 
um, trying to bring about some sort of policy change. Um, and, you know, it's, it's intentional in this way. And, and drug cartels could engage in terrorism. But being a drug cartel, selling drugs, you know, running drugs or whatever, is not in and of itself um, a terrorist act. And so I, 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 I hate the idea of lumping them all in because it just muddies the definition, right? Have policies towards terrorist organizations. You can have really harsh, critical policies towards drug cartels, but don't do it by lumping them together and saying that drug cartels are terrorist organizations because that just makes the whole thing more difficult. Make an argument for why drug cartels should be targeted in severe ways, um, but don't, don't do it by you know muddying the concept. Can I push back, Nick? Yes, please okay. do. <laughs> All right. My initial thought was that that was the perspective that we should have. A, you should draw a distinction between you should those have stuck with your initial thought. Though. <laughs> 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 that that those that are motivated for financial reasons are distinct from those terrorist organizations that appear to be motivated by ideological reasons. But when I start <clears throat> to think about the goals of both organizations, I think some of those lines get blurred, and we tend to think that terrorist organizations are driven by ideological or religious goals and that drug cartels are purely driven by material goals but i i think some of their behavior is very very similar and maybe drug cartels lack some of the ideology but that that might be it in terms of what they do so i i do think that there may be again those lines might be blurred to some Mm. degree what, why would it? Why is a drug cartel a terrorist organization? Why, like, what? I, I mean, what do they do that makes them a terrorist? I, I think, in in the terms of what we have to deal with today, as compared to you know previous iterations of drug cartels, they're they're not. It's not necessarily just about. I mean, it is obviously about the drug trade, but they're politically destabilizing forces that influence, um, you know, the the political actions of a country. Um, it's intimidation, it's violence, it's bombings, it's all these things that realistically, minus the, the, the drug aspect of it, and in some instances, even terrorist organizations, Al-Qaeda, um, Al-Shabaab, have been, infl- or have been uh, uh, integral parts of, of the drug trade. I think it's, they're, I, I, like you said, there's, there's this kind of gray area, and I think there does need to be a dividing line where certain actions undertaken by an organization push them from being considered, you know, a standard mom and pop drug cartel to a a political actor who's influencing the uh, outcomes and, and stability of, of a government and a society um, through through violent, coercive means, which I think we see more and more, especially in Central and South America today. Sure. One of the problems with terrorism is there's no good definition of terrorism. But one of the key elements of terrorism is they don't draw a distinction between combatants and non-combatants. And when I think about the Mexican drug cartel, they are targeting non-combatants as a form of intimidation. Right. They're using violence or the threat of violence to pursue their 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 goals, their political goals. So, you know, I, I think they're distinct categories, but given that terrorism is such a messy definition... I'm not so sure that those are entirely distinct categories. 
So, I, I mean, it depends on the conversation. That's, mm -hmm. If the conversation that is going on with the Trump administration is, are there certain cartels who should be characterized as, mm -hmm. as terrorist organizations? I don't have a problem with that. But making a blanket statement that drug cartels are terrorist organizations is where I have the problem. Oh, yeah. Because that's where you're muddying the... So, sure. yeah, I mean, if you have evidence that a dr particular drug cartel is carrying out terrorist acts, then... Sure, then then call them that. But but that's I don't the idea of simplifying that if if you are sort of you know involved in running drugs illegally that makes you a terrorist organization. Particularly if it went down the lines of like drugs are harmful to people and and so that that's where I I, I yeah I mean if you start to broaden or loosen the definition of terrorism then you start to very quickly you know the the concept becomes sort of meaningless, right? So right. to to harm people for economic or political gain, right? Then, then like, you know, multi, right. every multinational corporation <laughs> right, qualifies right. as a terrorist organization if you're not if you're not careful as you start going down that road. Yeah. So. No, I think this is this is a way to prop up the the national emergency um um declaration. Word, declaration. Yeah, wow, I'm struggling real hard. Well, the other thing, so I think that's right. They're, they're, they're doing this for the national emergency. The other thing that I, I worry about, I don't think the Trump administration has had the same conversation we just had. If identity politics is driving... <laughs> we just had a five-minute conversation. Yes. <laughs> it was pretty deep, Nick. If identity politics is driving any bit of this to suggest that, you know, that uh, Muslims are terrorists and Mexicans are also... I mean, like that... that, they, that look, they look sort of similar. Well, or this, this idea that... that oh, Phil... No, I think there's, you know, <laughs> Trump has, has been very, his, his views on Muslims and his views on Mexicans are very clear. And so if if that is the interpretation, not the, you know, they're not drawing a distinction between the combatant and non-combatant, uh, that, that bothers me. But I am, in an academic sense, okay with, I'm open to the idea that drug cartels could be terrorists. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Yes. Thanks for playing along. <laughs> All right. Final topic. So this week, an Indonesian woman accused of killing the half-brother of the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is free. She's free, Nick. After Malaysian prosecutors dropped charges against her on Monday. Uh, there were two women who appeared to spread, actually they did spread, poison on Kim Jong-nam's face while he was walking through the Kuala Lumpur airport in early 2017. Both women were uh, being held on evidence of a, quote, well-planned conspiracy. Prosecutors in court did not say why they were dropping the charges. But according to a foreign minister ministry statement on Monday, they concluded the women were, quote, deceived and did not realize at all that they were being manipulated by North Korean intelligence. The two women have maintained that they thought they were smearing baby oil on his face as a prank. It took 20 minutes for Kim Jong-nam to die after being uh, after the banned nerve agent VX was spread on his face. Man, that's fast. Oh, it is. It's, it's bad. Nerve agents are bad. So I ask you, gentlemen, <laughs> has justice been served? Phil. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen all of the, I don't know all the inner workings of, you know, what, what these two women have, have testified to or, you know, how believable their testimony is. But the, the story, as I understand it, and, and this has been, you know, since the very beginning, these two women have claimed that they had no idea um, that in the weeks leading up to, I mean, this is, I think this is fascinating, the weeks <laughs> leading up to this. Um, neither one of them are neither one of them are North Korean. One's I think Thai, and one's I don't remember Malaysian or something like that. Indonesian, um, yeah. Indonesian, okay. Yeah. Uh, that they were both approached by this random person who was filming a, a new like prank video, a prank TV show, um, and they were given 
I don't know if they were given money or if they were just told they could be on the prank team. I think they were given money. And so for weeks leading up to this, they had them going around and doing this to other people, smearing stuff on their face or whatever, uh, and filming it. And so they I legitimately thought they were just part of a prank show. And then they point out Kim Jong-nam in the airport and give them rags with VX on it and tell them to go run it up and, and do this. And, and the indication was essentially that I, North Korea, I mean, it's 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 a it's a crazy but sort of brilliant plan, yes. um, and the belief was that they would die from the exposure themselves to VX, but somehow they did not. The, the idea was they were never going to fall into the hands of of you know law enforcement off officials. So, if all of that is true, then yeah, I mean they they are naive maybe, but you know who would think that they're that. They're, <laughs> they're being duped into assassinating someone right in, in that sense then then yeah then North Korean, yeah. right so I, I mean you made the point kind of there like i i like it, it, this is such a an extremely volatile and 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 potent nerve agent and you're telling me that you told these women they were going to be on a game show and you had them doing just kind of dry runs with baby oil or something and then you gave them a rag with this stuff on that I'm assuming they touched and then put on this guy's face and nothing happened to them? I Like any other situation where this nerve agent is handled, it's in a controlled environment, it's, you know, sealed vessels, it's... Um, a you know, of a drop can kill you. Right. In so yeah. you're not, like, there's no part of me that believes they were handed a rag with VX nerve gas on it or nerve agent on it and smeared it on someone else, and they didn't die at the same time that but he did. It was on the, the other side of the rag. Is they have they have video of it, and they're not yes. wearing gloves or anything. They're just yeah. they're walking up with the rag, and they do it. And, it's, Some, and it was VX. I don't know that's, how. Like, it's a, I, don't, I don't know how yeah. you how that happens though. How do you have it on the rag and it doesn't it get d- on that you? That does not make sense to me. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. I, I, so you, th- I you think they're in on I it. think they're in on it absolutely but then they're stupid for putting VX on a, a rag that they just go up and rub on some guy's face right because they could die from you know nerve gas. unless they you know they they had some sort of protection on them that we just don't know about or I, I, I don't know yeah. something like something is off here it just it, there's everybody in that vicinity should have been dead. Like, yeah. there's just, there's no way around it. And it, there's one person. The only person who died was the one that, that particular person was Kim Jong-un's uh, brother. Yeah. Th- that does not make sense to me who, at all. For the record, who Donald Trump has now fallen in love with, right? I mean, this is the other thing that strikes me is that we forget, and I, I will say part of the the downside to the Trump administration engaging North Korea in the way that they have is we've forgotten about the brutal way that North Korea pursues its political agenda. Mm-hmm. They, they, they put nerve on people's face, Nick. You can't do that. Yeah, but they're good at it. Well, Clearly, they're very good at it. Yes. <laughs> so. They stick to their guns. We we appreciate integrity on this podcast, from what I understand. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> yes. They are consistent. <laughs> Whereas the Trump administration is not, right? Uh, uh, I don't know. Just uh, It seems very odd to me. It is a weird, weird story. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say, like, all of the the stuff when you read about the CIA, what they're doing, and what the intelligence organizations do, weird, weird stuff. 
So this fits within the continuum of weird thing that intelligence organizations do. What do you mean? In terms of the CIA or just any intelligence oh, any, organization? The CIA, like, so what the CIA does and continues to do is really outside of what we consider appropriate behavior. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this, beyond appropriate, this is outside of the norm for, uh, like, for uh, North Korea. So yeah. North Korea assassinates rival political rivals all the time right but they do it usually in north korea with mortars and stuff like that yeah. so um to do this in a foreign country in open is, is part of the thing that my understanding of people who are sort of north korea experts are still sort of trying to wrap their head around why why sort of take this risk right what was the threat what was going on internally in the north korean regime that that meant that they f had felt the need to sort of do this in a sort of an exposed way um yeah like and yeah, he just, I mean, I didn't even know Kim Jong-un had a brother uh, up until this story happened. He liked to go to Disney World. How is he a political opponent, uh, opponent oh, at that point? Oh, he's a threat. He's a threat. <laughs> Were they going to prop him up after they didn't he kill the dear leader? There are apparent multiple half-brothers, half-siblings, because yeah. Kim Jong-un's father had lots of uh, lady friends. Some of whom had a more legitimate <laughs> claim friends. to, not the throne, but then Kim Jong-un did, so... You know. Kim Jong-nam was the sort of assumed yeah. uh, successor until he did, wasn't interested in right. Kim Jong-un. He hang out at Disney World, right? Right, he left. Legit. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so that should have been enough evidence where Kim Jong-un said, like, let's let him go to Euro Disney and do that. Um, yeah, he's, he's a bad, 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 bad guy. He's, he's bad, a bad, 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 bad guy. guy. Worse, worse than worse worst guy. Worse than worst. <laughs> uh, oh, we got through it, Nick. That was good. That was good, wasn't it, though? Um... Yeah, on that note, if uh, you guys like the podcast, uh, have questions about the podcast, um, something else about the podcast, because now I'm just kind of going off. Send us some questions. Questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, um, oh, God, I just, I missed it. Uh, sh shit. Um, James, uh, you had a question about uh, the UK and um, the state of uh, UK politics after Brexit. We just didn't have time to oh. talk about it this week. Um, we'll we will it. absolutely address yeah. it. Like I, I, I mentioned, we'll definitely talk about it in uh, the run-up to Brexit. Um, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for the question. Uh, if you guys have other questions, um, hit us up on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, the podcast, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Google Play Music, Stitcher, most major podcasting platforms. Untapped uh, on iOS or Android. Uh, check out our beer reviews on there. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics. Uh, and then Predict It. Um, we are partnered with uh, Predict It, uh, which is a, uh, uh, pol a political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, when you open up a new account, uh, if you're a Barstool Politics listener, uh, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. Um, so if you open up a $20 account, uh, Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Just use the uh, promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, uh, and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, anything else I missed? Anything else we need to talk about? Any it's other good. turds that need to be discussed? The airplanes are, are, are not flying anymore. No, no planes. We're yeah. done with planes. Yeah. We're going to trains now. <laughs> New Green Deal is in effect. <laughs> That's right. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.